Dane, it sounds like you got to meet a pretty unique pro bike racer recently. I did. I drove down to Durango and hung out with Christopher Blevins, who actually just won himself a national title in the short track on the mountain bike at the elite level, which uh, has been a really impressive junior rider. This is his first elite title in that discipline. Not just a mountain biker either, also a cyclocross racer. He rides on the road with Hagen's Berman Action. He's a rapper and a lyricist. He does it all. He's a very multi-talented individual. Well, this is a great story you wrote for the August issue of Velo News Magazine. That issue's coming out on newsstands August 31st. I've also got a story on Kate Courtney in there, and this, uh, this issue's about mountain biking and gravel and some other kind of different disciplines. Give you a little break from traditional road stuff once the Tour de France is over. So check it out. It'll be at Barnes & Noble, and you can also subscribe to velonews.com. We'll put a link in the show description. On with the podcast. Oh boy, Dane, that's stage 17. It sure was a cracker. They wanted it to be an exciting stage. They made it a short mountainous stage, and I would say it kind of did work out. I'm Spencer Paulison here in the VeloNews headquarters with my sidekick, Dane Cash. Dane and I, we just watched the Tour de France stage 17 this morning, and it was... Uh, I think it definitely paid paid off as far as uh, the expectations, wouldn't you say? I was I was pretty pleased with the amount of action we saw. It was, a, it was a thrilling finale for that stage. I mean, Chris Froome getting dropped on a Tour de France climb. When does that happen? Not often. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, going into this, there was a lot of talk about the ASO tour organizers trying to create a route that would finally get the better of Chris Froome. They wanted something unpredictable. They wanted something crazy. I don't know. Do you think that they're off in some high mountain chateau popping champagne bottles and laughing maniacally about the outcome of today's stage? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, a Skyrider did end up just consolidating his lead after all, but mm. it wasn't Chris Froome. That's true. So there is that. So let's go through the action real quick, Dane, before we get into our takes. Sure. It's a 65K stage, uh, 17th stage of the Tour. That's the shortest road stage of the Tour de France in like over 30 years, according to the ASO. So that is a really unusual kind of day. We did see a big breakaway at the start. That's pretty typical. But the Peloton did a good job of keeping them on a short leash. I think the GC riders definitely wanted to have a shot at this stage. Uh, Nairo Quintana, Dan Martin, launch off the front of the GC group at the beginning of that final climb. Uh, Quintana drops Martin, catches up with some guys in the breakaway, eventually just gobbles them all up, and then goes on and takes the stage win. And then behind Quintana, you have a battle among the GC guys. And the big news of the day, of course, Chris Froome, just a couple of kilometers to go, starts to fall off the back, and then he cracks, and he lost uh, uh, over 40 seconds to uh, his teammate and the yellow jersey, Garrett Thomas. Yeah, and Garrett Thomas pointing out after the stage that when Chris Froome told him that he was feeling feeling bad and he was getting dropped, that's when Thomas knew that it was a hard, hard race because if Froome's in trouble, then everybody's in trouble. And Garen Thomas actually wasn't in trouble. No. In fact, he attacked at the end, got a little time. You know, some other interesting storylines from this day for me were Julian Alaphilippe once again flying off the front, getting points in the King of the Mountains jersey. Reminded me a little of Rafael Maika from a few years ago in the tour when he just went on a rampage. I think it was after Alberto Contador had crashed out with his broken leg, and Maika was just just did whatever the heck he wanted. It was like video game cycling. He was attacking at will, getting all the points in the King of the Mountains classification, winning multiple stages, and that's what Alaphilippe did this race. I've fallen in love with this little French guy in this race. I got to admit, I love seeing him bomb descents, attack. You know, he's just he's just an animated rider, and uh, quick step, just amazing how this team can go from dominating the classics to showing up at the Grand Tours and just 
blowing everyone out of the water in a variety of ways. You know, if Fernando Gaviria wasn't here, we'd still be talking about him as a sprinter of reference in this tour field now, wouldn't we? Yeah, Alaphilippe, I think, doing something that I really appreciate uh, tour riders doing. In the King of the Mountains jersey, so often, like the last 10 years, it's it's won by some guy who gets into the break and... Gets, Usually French. That's often quite true. But he's a different kind of French rider. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they'll get in their break early on, they'll get some points on an intermediate stage, and then they'll kind of fall back into the peloton eventually, and you know, that's that's how they win the KOM jersey. Not Alaphilippe. I mean, this guy's going on the attack basically every day, and he's sticking with it, and he's winning stages. That's a big deal. He's he's a really good rider, and everybody knows he's going to be going on the attack, and he's still doing it, and that's really hard. So impressive rides from Alaphilippe so far. Definitely. And the other story for me was Peter Sagan crashing on his and this is his words, ass. Mm. He crashed on his butt. And yeah. he still finished, though. Everyone was kind of worried. He crashed on the second descent of the day off the Val d'Oran Azette, excuse me, um, giving you an indication of how intense this stage is, how treacherous these downhills are. If arguably the best bike handler in the peloton is crashing into the trees and he got pretty banged up a lot of scrapes a lot of, scra- a lot of bruises it looked like he was kind of limping around on the podium uh hoping he'll be fine to keep that green jersey for a record sixth points classification win with only a few stages remaining but uh peter sagan yeah that's uh that was a scary one because just a day prior philippe gilbert had crashed into that ravine um, and that looked really bad. Yeah, whenever Sagan crashes, it's news because it just seems so rare. It He's is rare. not a guy that goes down very often, whether it's an innocuous in the Peloton crash or a descent. I mean, whatever. Th- those things don't seem to happen to Peter Sagan very often. So mm-hmm. you know this is a big deal if yeah. uh, he goes down. And Gilbert's crash, of course, far more severe because he broke his kneecap. Yeah. But he still finished the stage, and there was still two major climbs to go after he had done that, over to the Col de Monte and the Portillon. I mean... That guy's a hard man, I'll tell you what. And he was even faster than Arno DeMar. He finished before Arno DeMar with a broken kneecap. Give me a break. I know that's not about stage 17, but I gotta give I gotta give my man, my man Philippe Gilbert a shout out because well, that's just insane. DeMar was off the back on stage 17 too. So it's a recurring theme. It is, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. And um <laughs> And some people have noticed that, too, haven't they? Yeah, Andre Greipel kind of calling him out there on Twitter, maybe some yeah. insinuations for of... For stage uh, 17. Yeah, of some, of some towing at the finish from, from Andre. I don't know. I mean, a uh, bit, bit of a calling out there from Andre. Who knows uh, whether what it really happened there. No love but, lost. Yeah, no. Andre, Andre Greipel definitely questioning how quickly Arnaud DeMar climbed the final climb of... Uh, the Col du Portet today in stage 17, I don't know, maybe. I mean, there's always been questions about Darmar after he won Milan San Remo because some people were saying he got a toe from a car. I don't know, it was never really confirmed, but um, Greipel, obviously, not a big fan. Well, so. watching from home, uh, he had a little more time to see what was going on, maybe, so I don't Hard know. to say. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. So we had a crazy day of racing, and I think the big point that you mentioned earlier, Dane, the real headline of the day, apart from Peter Sagan crashing on his ass, is uh, Chris Froome getting dropped on arguably the toughest climb of the tour. And usually it's the other way around, and this year it isn't. So it kind of begs the question, are we seeing sort of the beginning of the end of the Chris Froome era? Because, you know, for years and years, he's been imperious in the tour, never looked to be in trouble. Sure, last year he won the tour by a pretty narrow margin, but was he ever really threatened in that race by Rigoberto Uran or Roman Bardet? I would argue that he wasn't, just due to the fact that it was simply a way the route played out. Now, in this race, we're seeing him 
um, reduced to being a super domestique, maybe super duper domestique to Garen Thomas. So what do you think, Dane? I mean, like, is this, what, what, what has led up to this position that Froome finds himself in? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is simply that he is 33 years old, and eventually every GC contender is going to start losing a little bit of speed. And so I think that's a big part of it. I mean, he, he's won four Tours de France already, and a Giro, uh, and a Vuelta. Oh, so yeah. Don't forget the Vuelta. Eventually, you, you know, <coughs> not everybody can uh, contain their uh, GC abilities till they're 38 or however old Alejandro Valverde is. Uh, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. So is it the end of the Froome era? You know, I think he might have... At least a year or two left uh, of being a tour winner, possibly. Uh, I think he's still going to be the, the top or one of the top three tour contenders next year, and probably the year after that, too. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm sort of interested in is what's he going to do in terms of his schedule? We've seen yeah. uh, we've seen some chatter, I think, from Froome about maybe riding the Vuelta this year. That would be three Grand Tours this year. That would be nuts. Doesn't he get tired of racing bikes? Apparently not. Uh, Come on. It's like- probably easier when you win a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know. So there's that. But yeah, what happens next year? I don't know. I mean, this year coming off the Giro, obviously you had the stress of the looming uh, salbutamol. It wasn't really an adverse analytical according to WADA, so I don't really know what we could call it. Case, I guess. Uh, that that kind of combined with the Giro and the age and the rivals, you know, I think that made this tour maybe uh, a bit too much for him. But I don't know that that means that next year will be the same. Mm. I, I think he's still got maybe a year. The question is, what happens with Gary Thomas? I mean, if he's got to go mm. head-to-head against Thomas, who who knows? Yeah, well, we'll get into that more later, I think. But um, for me, I think, yeah, this is the end of the Chris Frumera. I'm going to go out there and say that. And you know why? For, for the reasons you said, to begin with, the age, that's a very important thing. But I'll tell you what, this Tour de France, this should not be a tough one for him to win. Think about this. The, un- the only rider who's challenged him has been his teammate, Garen Thomas. So, I mean, there's that to begin with. And then consider all the riders who have dropped out or crashed out. Richie Port, Vincenzo Nibali, Rigoberto Uran. This is a very weakened GC field. I mean, come on. If you see Primoz Roglic attacking on the final climb and actually, you know, being in the mix for a GC race, you can't tell me this is the best GC field you could potentially have at a Tour de France. Sure, Roglic is on the way up. He's been improving. He's a legit rider. He can time trial well. He can climb well. But he's a very unproven quantity when it comes to GC. And I just truly don't see that. as that. To me, that's an indication that this Tour field is not quite as strong as it potentially could be. So for first room to be dropping back to third place in the overall, that to me is a big, big red flag. They should be hitting the panic button at Team Sky with Chris Froome right now because not only that, but you look back to his Giro win, you look back to his Vuelta wins, you know, he didn't really quite have any proper challengers in those races. He launched that raid at the very end of the Giro, but let's face it, the first half of the race, he was just trying to lose weight. Remember all that data we got from Team Sky where he was, you know, had his nutrition plan, he figured it all out, and he's riding hungry that first week, intending, of course, to race the tour afterward. But I mean, come on, like, if he's doing all that stuff and still winning the Giro with a pretty convincing solo solo attack, I mean, I I just don't see that as a real hard-fought victory. The Welta as well, to me, he was was in control at the Welta. So I got to say, for me, it's like... Maybe next year. Yeah, maybe he'll win one next year, but I have my doubts. Yeah, and I mean, the the fact that Team Sky has Gary and Thomas, I think, maybe relieves some of the pressure. The real question now is, what are they going to do with him? Uh, you said about, you, you mentioned hitting the panic button for Froome. 
Well, one thing that Sky can do to uh, maybe alleviate some of the stress of that panic button is just say, oh, wait, we've also got Gary and Thomas and Egon Bernal as well, who's on the front every day in the mountains, it seems. So this is a team that fortunately has some backup options no matter what happens with the Chris Froome era. It definitely does. Um, Bernal, of course, young Colombian climbing talent, one of your favorites. Mm. I know that, Dane. Mm. Um, but clearly having some serious issues in the first week of this tour in terms of just staying where he needs to be in the peloton and avoiding problems, avoiding crashes. I mean, shit, don't learn that from Chris Froome because obviously he still hasn't figured it out, haven't gotten tangled in that crash in stage one. I mean, what would have happened if that had, who knows? It's hard to say. But Garen Thomas, definitely the story of the tour because, you know, and I said this to you earlier, got to tip a hat a little to Cycling News because they, a few months ago, they were pointing out that Garen Thomas was approaching this tour like he was the leader. Yeah, well, the, the funny thing with Gary and Thomas is he's shown already for the last two years, maybe, that he has the climbing ability and the time traveling ability to be right up there with all the big GC guys in the one-week races. Indeed. But he never really had a chance in the three-week races. I mean, his A lot first, of bad luck. Yeah, he, he had a crash involved with a motorcycle on the side of the road at the Giro, and he was mostly a domestique at the Tour, so we just never really saw it. It was kind of easy to write him off because we never had a, any evidence of what he was going to do in a three-week race, but to be fair... He'd done a heck of a lot in the one-week races, and so the the signs were there. But the signs are there for a lot of riders. I mean, there's a lot of guys who do great stuff in the one-week races. Richie Port. Richie Port. Yeah. Excuse me. So this is a big deal for Thomas to take that step. Of course, the race isn't over yet. I mean, we were talking about the Giro d'Italia like Adam Yates was going to win you know, a month and a half ago. So maybe we should have that disclaimer in Good here. point. Yeah, who knows? You know, when you guys are listening to this, hopefully it'll be around maybe Thursday at some point. Yeah. And uh, yeah, still still racing to be done. So who knows? But Thomas has passed every test so far. He's certainly looked the part so far. I think uh, he's got all the talent required and it's just a couple more days and he's got it all wrapped up. You know, the great thing about Garen Thomas uh, coming into his own in this Tour de France and wearing the yellow and potentially going on to win is that we really got to know him a little bit. And, uh, I, you know, he's been a f- uh, you know, a fixture in Team Sky's lineups and these Tour de France is always working for Chris Room. But I feel like I never really found out more about who he is as a person until this tour. And um, a lot of that's thanks to Fred Dreyer's really nice uh, feature story on him that's up on fellownews.com right now. Dane, you gave this a read too, didn't you? I mean, this is, he, sen- he seems like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, it's a funny, Thomas is a good face for Sky right now. I mean, Sky has had some, some tough times. Yeah, the past you could say years. that. Yeah, they've been savage in the British media, f- mostly for their own mistakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, at this Tour de France, they've obviously faced a, a lot of uh, roadside problems from fans who maybe were stirred up by Bernard Eno, who's just been going off on the team for weeks. And so yeah. Yeah, Sky needed some positive PR. And the fact that Gary Thomas is leading this race, I think, is good for them because of his personality. I mean, he really comes off as a interesting guy who you know likes to have fun uh he he loves his rugby likes to have a beer every now and then yeah there's some great anecdotes in this story that fred wrote i mean he's he he talked to um uh one of the broadcasters from eurosport who used to be on the british national team i think it was rob hales uh, and there are some stories about how Thomas would, he'd get out to the bars and really, really tear it up, especially in the off season, just having a good time partying. He was the life of the party. Uh, he, there's even a story about him, like going to, I think it was a, a championship race in Wales or, or a pretty major race in Wales. And he went out with the guys, got some beers, got a little rowdy and they had to actually like 
pull him from the race the next day to be like, you know, man, you got to tone it down a little bit. So, uh, I like this. I like a, I like a pro cyclist who can cut loose. Although, you know, you don't hear about this very much, but from my experience, they do get a little wild when it's the off season because it's such a cloistered life. They have to live like monks. And, uh, when the time is right, they can definitely get, get pretty crazy. And, uh, Garen Thomas seems to be one of those guys and he's happy to talk about it too. Yeah. See, a, that's what I like about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice, uh, change from Froome. I mean, you gotta say Chris Froome is always extremely professional with the media. He's oh, always yeah. very polite in the face of just constant questions and criticism from French media and fans all the time. You really have to take your head off to Froome for being that guy. But Garen Thomas being this sort of more outspoken or just guy who clearly likes to have fun and is not afraid to kind of hide it, that's yeah. a cool change from Froome, who's just a little more reserved. Froome's like, he's like, like too nice. Yeah, It just so. like make, it weirds me out sometimes when you're like, why, like just... Can you be normal for a sec? Can you just like, you know, take the mask off? And to me, Garrett Thomas, he'll go up on the podium and like, you know, on Alpe d'Huez when they were booing him, he didn't look happy about it, you know? And and he's not afraid to just just emote a little bit and, yeah, and not yeah. not just have this kind of like PR PR mode going 100, 100% of the time. So Garrett Thomas, uh, yeah, give this story a read from from um, Fred Dreyer. It's, uh, it's up on the website now. We'll put a link in the uh, description to the show here. And um, it'll be interesting to see how he evolves. His contract with Team Sky will be up at the end of the year. Um, you know, we, of course, can talk more about him when the tour is over and we could finally be certain that he survived stages 19 and 20. But um, it stands to reason that maybe he'd pursue something else, uh, given his potential as a Grand Tour leader now that he's proven it. Yeah, I think the big question for me is who's got the money to pay a Tour de France leader to suddenly come over and transfer season? I mean, Trek was the team that had the money to bring over a new big rider. Right. After Conchalar and Contador, Trek had this kind of, they had the budget. You, and you were thinking they were going to bring somebody over. But all the chatter is that they are going to bring Richie Port over. I don't know if that's still the case. I mean, it's not August 1st yet. But uh, if that is true, I don't really know of any other teams that are going to have the budget to, uh, yeah, convince a guy that just won the Tour de France to come join their squad and leave the squad that propelled him to a tour win. Fortunio Samsic. Ooh, maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're going to sign nope. a Skyrider. Wait, wait. Wanty Group Gobert. Ooh, yeah, maybe maybe them. Well, There's so many choices. Uh, Fortuneo's with with <laughs> Ellie has Barrett getting you know punched by uh, Ooh, Johnny Moscow. Yeah, some bad know, blood no there. There's no love lost with Sky. Bad blood there. So, um, well, you know, Team Sky obviously the super team of the peloton. It is hard to make an argument for leaving that team when it's given him so much. And uh, you know, one of the main guys behind that, David Brailsford. We uh, we heard a little from him after the finish of Stage 17. Uh, Fred Dreyer was up there. He got a little audio from Brailsford talking about the dynamic between Froome and Thomas in this race and uh, just talking about how he feels like if Froome is uh, is able to be that super-duper domestique to Thomas, it, it might actually be even more of a boost for his legend uh, than actually winning a fifth tour. So uh, let's give that a listen. How was it to see him ride today? Uh, a bit nerve-wracking, if I'm honest. I mean, um, it was, uh, nobody really knew what was going to happen today, did they? And it, um, in the end, I think it was a fantastic stage, and uh, I'm not sure if we'll see more of those in the future, but um, I thought the team rode well. Uh, when Roglic first went on the first climb, you know, Chris covered the move, and that was the plan. And um, obviously that meant that Tom was going to have to ride back to Roglic, back to Chris, and, and G could sit on the wheel and come back to the front and that played out nicely and, and I think um, for me the, potentially the right, I mean 
some brilliant rides today. Wow, it was fantastic. Castro, all the team was fantastic. Luke Rowe, the first time, fantastic. But Egan Bernal, blimey. You know, we bought, I, I was, I was uh, worried about bringing him here at such a young age, and um, we debated it for quite a long time. And I think it's not so much the physical kind of ability, but maybe more of the mental side. It's not an easy race to come to this. And the intensity of it, and you know, everything else that goes on, for a young guy in his first experience, he's um, he's handled it in a brilliant way, and, and I think he, he's the kind of man of the match today, maybe. Is there a new captain on the skyship now? Well, I think we've got a leader two minutes, and, um, you know, it, it, the probability of us winning this race lies more with, um, with Garrett now, I think, but it doesn't mean to say it's all over. It gives us still some cards to play, and uh, it's a long way to go. Um, but at this moment in time, I think overall, um, we'll be looking to the next, you know, tomorrow obviously a sprint day, look towards the next mountain stage, uh, try and retain a jersey then, it'll be all into the time trial. Are you surprised that uh, Chris Room lost a little bit of time today? Um, well, I think what, he, what, what you got with Chris is he'll give it, he'll empty the tank, and he emptied the tank, you can see that, absolutely empty the tank. And um, again, he deserves a lot of credit for having gone to the Giro, very very strong there won that obviously in spectacular fashion come here and he's given it his all um, he's unfortunate to lose the time in that first uh, in that first crash uh, but since then he's he's really has given absolutely everything of himself and that's that's what he's like you know you've got to respect the guy for what he's done and, and he's a great great champion but um, you know he's not out of it necessarily you know still still big mountain day to come and um, and obviously the time trial, but uh, he bounces back. If anybody can bounce back, it's Chris Froome. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't rule him out just yet. Does it seem like a race for the podium spot now for Chris? Well, until we speak to him, I don't know. You know, obviously, for me to jump to that conclusion would be a bit, uh, a bit premature, maybe. So, um, you know, we'll sit down tonight and we'll review everything and see where we're at, see how everybody feels, and we'll make our plan of attack from there, you know. He played the perfect teammate today for Garrett. He did, you know, and I think um, if you just won the Giro, you're going for the double and you've won all the Grand Tours that you've seen. You know, sometimes you see these great, great sportsmen, they're real winners, and, and when you take that kind of, you know, if, if G goes on to win the race, he'll be a legend, but if Froome helps him and sacrifice like he did today and help G do it, he's going to be a titan. He'll be one of the all-time greats, you know, without even winning the race in a way, if you know what I mean. Mm. I think the, the kind of... To be able to do that, I mean, you, you can't imagine what a uh, what a great champion is to be able to do. That. Dave, have there been a few headaches about how to play well, this stage and the next couple of stages from the point of view of the leadership? Uh, no, not at all, and I'm, I'm quite sincere with that. Um, they're mature guys, they understand the race, um, they respect each other. I think Geraint respects Chris and his status and you know what that brings, as it were. And I think Chris fully respects the fact that Geraint has got a you know a, a buffer. Um, and they understand the dynamics of the race and, and um, they're very, very open. We said this morning, you know, the key thing with them is there's an open communication between them. There needs to be trust and there needs to be no surprises. But they both need to know that we're on the road. They have to be honest with each other about how they're feeling so they can make the right decisions, optimise their decisions as they go along. And I think that's what we've seen. Well, that's uh, Sir David Brailsford, lads. See, you wouldn't have gotten through this without a little English accent now, would you, lads? Garant. I, don't, I don't think we've ever gotten through a podcast, oh, period. Garant loves to go down to the pub with the lads. Yes, have a pint. 
Garen Thomas, we'll see what happens in these next couple stages, Dane. You got a, you got a prediction for me? You want to go on record with the prediction? Yeah, I'll, I'll go on record saying I think Thomas has it. I think okay. uh, Thomas versus Dumoulin is, is the real question now. Yeah. I, I see Thomas is coming out with a win. Time, final time trial, maybe? Yeah, I think Thomas is a good enough time trialist that uh, he's going to be able to hold off Dumoulin because he's a really good time trialist. Obviously, Dumoulin is the best time trialist on the planet, mm. but Garen Thomas is pretty good at it, too. Yeah, so. he is, he is. My prediction in the wacky Spencer fantasy world is that Tom Dumoulin attacks on the Tourmalet on Friday. Chris Froome follows him. They get off the front. They get a gap. Garen Thomas doesn't know what to do. He's bonking. He's cracking. Chris Froome now poised to lead the Tour de France. Tom Dumoulin beats him in the time trial. I wouldn't mind seeing and that. And Dumoulin wins the Tour de France. That'd be pretty exciting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Could you imagine? That'd be a thriller. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. But yeah. that's not going to happen. Probably not. Because my predictions are totally garbage. Always, always garbage. Don't trust me. But speaking of time trials, Dane, this tour, we've got a lot of time trial riders in it. You know, this is, you pointed this out to me today. I'm not going to take credit for your observation. So to explain this to the readers, what's the deal with this tour? Yeah, I think it's really interesting for the first time in a very long time, basically since Froome started to be the dominant Grand Tour rider that he is, that most of his top rivals, really all of his top rivals right now at this tour, are time trial specialists. Everybody, mm -hmm. the, the top four riders in this Tour de France right now, uh, also known as the only four guys who are even close to having a chance of winning, because Nairo Quintana sitting fifth is way too far back at this point. True. So uh, you're, you're talking you're talking Tom Dumoulin? I'm talking Dumoulin. I'm talking, obviously, Gary Thomas and Chris Froome and Primoz Roglic. Roglic, definitely a good time trial rider. Yeah, all four of those guys, uh, they're really strong against the clock, and I think that says something about the the way that Tours de France are planned and written these days. I think it says something about what it takes to win the Tour de France right now. And one really interesting thing for me is that this Tour de France, when we saw the route several months ago, this was seen as a Tour de France that was not friendly to time trialists. There right. was one time trial and one team time trial, and that's it. And it's a and that stage 20 is fairly hilly. Yeah. It's not like a flat... It's not a big flat yeah, TT. It's not a pan-flat time trial and what is it, 31 kilometers, I right, think? Right, right. So, I mean, shoot, you've had some time trials and grand tours that are twice that length practically. I think the Giro had a 60K time trial a couple years ago. This is... This is not a time trial, this course. Right. Why so, are they out there? The really interesting thing, though, is I think the way that Sky rides, this very controlled way of riding, mm. it helps these other time trialists as well. I mean, obviously, Tom Dumoulin, when he's watching Aegon Bernal just hammer away on the front and, and put, you know, pain into everybody's legs. Dumoulin is probably not thinking this is this is fun. But at the end of the stage, he can look back and say, you know what, the fact that Aegon Bernal and then Kwiatkowski and then Froome or whatever are putting in all these watts probably helps me in the end uh, because that kind of keeps those pure climbers from attacking so that the guys who are big engine types can just work their way up these climbs and and you get what we have finally after 17 stages of the tour, which is four dudes who are really good at time trialing in the top four spots of the tour. And guys like Nairo Quintana just attacking when nobody really cares. Like today on stage 17, for instance, Nairo Quintana got a big gap early on because he was so far back on GC that nobody saw him as a threat. Whoa, blistering take. Nobody cares about Nairo Quintana's well, attack. The GC oh. guys, that is. Yeah. No, I see your point. The, the the climbers, the pure climbers, Nairo Quintana, uh, I guess Roman Bardet, uh, you know these Vincenzo Nibali. They like to to throttle it. They do they do a fast acceleration. They punch it out of a switchback. They attack a short steep wall, and then that kind of jerky rhythm 
is not ideal for a guy like Tom Dumoulin or a guy like Chris Froome. That's why they always yo-yo off the back, and then they'll slowly drag them drag their way back up to these climbers who do that move. But this tour has been it's been a weird tour overall tactically. I feel because it has been so controlled in that GC group. I mean, look at stage uh, 16, the first Pyrenean stage on Tuesday. That could have been a wild finish. You had two short climbs in the finish. Category ones, I believe they had kind of sketchy descents. I mean, you know, you could have seen a guy like Nibbly attacking over the Portillo on that final climb and just going ham on the descent and getting a little time there. I wish he would have been still in the race to do that, but he wasn't because, you know, what happened on Alpe d'Huez. But, you know, instead it was a procession. I mean, I'm sure it was hard for them. I'm sure they put up good numbers, but it's really disappointing to me when, when you see this GC group just cruising through a stage like that with no action at all. And I mean, for that matter, you know, I feel like some of the other stages, you know, the, the, the first stage through the Alps, which I think was, a was it stage? Stage 10 was the 10? first Alpine yeah. stage. Yeah. That was a snoozer too. I mean, and Vincenzo Nibali even complained about that afterward. He said, Hey, this is modern cycling. These guys are just, everyone's so fit. Everyone's so well-trained that they're just all going to ride their perfect threshold tempo the entire race and there's just not enough difference to be made there and man that kind of is a bummer when it comes to the fan perspective i think which means that a stage like stage 17 actually can help break things up would you say i will say that one thing that the tour can do and that they did with stage 17 uh don't put back-to-back mountain stages in the race because when you get back-to-back stages you get what what you had in stage 16 which is everybody just kind of waiting for the next day and that is way too conservative and boring. So if you have a hard stage and a flat stage and a hard stage and a flat stage, maybe you break that up. Plus, that way you don't have eight straight boring flat stages to start the race, which is a problem in and of itself. So maybe if they break it up a little more, that could kind of get away from this problem. Then again, I don't want to blame guys like Dumoulin or Primoz Roglic for being the riders that they are if it's going to help them win Grand Tours. It's, that's how you win. So that's what you got to do. I agree. I agree. It does make the racing less exciting, but you can't blame them for trying to win the biggest race in the world yeah. because that's their job. Yeah. Now, the question I have to ask, Dane, is, and this this is sort of like putting you on the spot like our end of the Froome era thing, is uh, is this the end of climbers winning Grand Tours, Ooh. pure climbers winning Grand Tours? That is an excellent question. Because if you look back, I mean, okay, Chris Froome in the Giro, Chris Froome in the Welta. Chris, this is kind of hard because it's always Chris Froome. Um, Giro 20. Uh, There's 20, some Quintana Grand Tour wins. Giro 2017 was uh, Dumoulin. That was Tom Dumoulin, Dumoulin, yeah. And then Froome, Welta, Froome. Welta 2016 uh, was Nairo Quintana. Yeah. So that was your last pure climber. That was almost two years ago at this point. Now, to me, Quintana isn't showing us anything in terms of being able to win a Grand Tour at this point. I don't know what other pure climbers are out there. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, if, if you can't time trial, there's really very little chance that you're going to win a Grand Tour. Mm. So that's a big part of it. So if you really mean pure, pure climbers, then yeah, I, I don't think they're winning any Grand Tours anytime soon, unless we just totally get rid of all time trials. And even then, the time trial type riders still do well in the longer climbs. Mm. Uh, but yeah, maybe if we start splitting up the mountain stages a little bit, doing more of these short stages. I mean, I think that was not fun for Chris Froome, the short stage today. So maybe that is one way to break it up. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, but I do think, at least for the near for the near future, whether it's the route or just the, the guys who are at the top right now, I think it's all about those those big power guys because Tom Dumoulin is not going anywhere. Yeah, and, I agree. And Primoz Roglic is not going anywhere. 
Or for that matter, I mean, Richie Port. If Richie he, Port. If he can ever right. finish a sure. Grand Tour, sure. he'll probably win it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, And even some of the... I mean, for all of his incredible climbing talent, Egan Bernal is not an awful time trialist. Pierre Latour, well, pretty good time trialist. Egan Bernal had a pretty bad time trial. He had California. one bad time trial in California. Well, and we don't and really that know. is our one data point. <laughs> well, he also is the reigning champion of let's the see, Let's Let's see how he GT. does in stage 20. Yeah, we'll, we'll get... Well, he has no incentive to really ride that one. But well, maybe... He could prove to us. He's good to he could. He, we should call him. Hey, Aegon, can you do a time trial to prove to us? I think that it unfortunately is the end of the, of the era for pure climbers in the Grand Tours. I, I don't think a pure climber is going to win another Grand Tour, at least not in the near term. It's unfortunate. But... Um, I think another factor is if some weird stuff happens with how teams are organized, there's a lot of talk about team caps and like reducing budget sizes so that there's a little more open racing. Team Sky, way more money than any other team, which is why you see almost all of its riders all the way to the final climb of these tough stages. Hey, maybe if, if the teams are less powerful, that'll open it up more for a pure climber. I'm not sure. But in the near term, I think you're totally right. It's a lot of big guys out there with big power, and they're kind of they're dominating the Grand Tour scene at this point. Yeah, and probably won't stop anytime soon. Yeah. All right, Dane, let's wrap this up with a little off the front, off the back. Should I start? Yeah, go for it. Start? Oh, you want me to start? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Off the front for me, uh, rugby and beer. This mm. is going to be the future of cycling, physiology, and race preparation because we all know Garen Thomas on his way potentially to winning the Grand, the grand Tour of his life, Tour de France, and he does it because he can – cut loose in the off season, drink some beers, watch some rugby with his mates. So I know what I'm going to do to get ready for my next bike race. And I'm sure it'll work perfect. Mm, just like it worked yeah, for Garen Thomas. Now off the back, I'm going to, I gotta, I gotta throw a little shade on Johnny law. Well, actually it would be uh, Jean law mm. in the French uh, speak of it uh, because the, the gendarmes have kind of screwed up the last couple days of the tour on stage 16. There was this farmer's protest early in the race and they had like sheep in the road and hay bales and all sorts of other stuff. Your typical French protest situation. And the gendarmes figured they would just fire a bunch of tear gas to get these people off the road. And they didn't realize that the prevailing wind was blowing this tear gas into the peloton. And then everybody in the peloton started crying. And uh, it wasn't because the race was hard or they had just watched a nice rom-com before the start. It was because they had this tear gas in their eyes. So they had to wash out their eyes, all sorts of funny photos of Chris Froome dumping water bottle in his eyes, and everyone was just, it was a mess. And then also, stage 17, speaking of Chris Froome, the guys riding down from the summit finish wearing this hilariously oversized jacket, I might add, which is funny because they're sponsored by Henry Lloyd, this uh, sailing jacket company, so you'd think they'd get something that would fit him. Maybe he borrowed it from a fats one year. I don't know. Either way, he's riding down the hill, and the gendarme like kind of grabs him. I don't really know if he crashed or what happened. There's some weird photos on Twitter out there. Either way, the gendarme did not understand that this was actually Chris Froome, not some jabroni with a big uh, baggy rain jacket trying to poach the Col du Portet after the bike race was over. And uh, Froome, of course, worked it out with them. They said it was, oh, it's just a misunderstanding. Everything's, a, everything's cool. Don't worry about it. But still, Come on, gendarmes, you got to get it together. This is your moment here. You got the whole month of August off, like everyone in France does. Just kind of, you know, bring your A game for July, and then you can chill out when it comes to comes time to have your vacation. Well said. I yeah. like that. All right. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's say uh, for me, off the front, 
Let's say Spanish-speaking climbers. Oh. Yeah, a little, little throwback, huh? Wow. So yeah. last week they're off the back, and yeah. this week you're bringing... They have decided to go off the front. And Good for them. I'm really happy about that. Okay. Uh, Nairo Quintana, of course, winning stage 17. Indeed. Gutsy ride. I mean, yeah, he may not be much of a GC factor at this tour like he was hoping to be, but he went from a long way out on stage 17. Yeah. And that, that took some guts. Panache. And, and it worked. And it, it worked well. I mean, he was way up there. And so that was cool to see Nairo Quintana kind of get something out of this Tour de France. First stage win in five years for Quintana, who has seemed kind of like he's had an allergy to attacking a little bit. So it was nice to see that he really did that today. And he wasn't the only Spanish-speaking climber up there. Egon Bernal, another great day of climbing. Uh, Alejandro Valverde was in the attack early. Mikel Landa was pretty high up there. So the Spanish speakers in the peloton did a nice job of coming back and, and showing what they're made of today on stage 17. They were listening. They wanted to do you proud, Dane. I think they were, yeah. Good, uh, good work, fellas. Stage 17 off the back. You know, I'm going to go with tire traction, actually. Yeah. Just the last couple of days. Yeah, really. both 16 and 17, right? Yeah, we've had some uh, some of our favorite riders, some real, real marquee types, have really had some issues keeping the rubber on the road the last couple of days. Of course, Philippe Gilbert took a really hard fall, went over the cliff there, felt like 10 feet, Busted his kneecap. Still oh. finished the stage, by the way. Brutal. Pretty impressive. Uh, Peter Sagan crashing on stage 17 on his ass. Yep. His words, not ours. Crashed on his ass. Uh, and so, yeah. A lot and of Adam guys, Yates also on oh, stage Adam Yates crashing. crashed on the final descent. He was Ooh. leading the race and crashed. I don't know. Maybe Alaphilippe would have caught him regardless yeah. and outsprinted him. But it, yeah. And that just really put salt on the wound that he crashed. At least if like Alaphilippe had caught him, it would have been like, oh, well, Alaphilippe's faster. But... He crashed. That made it even worse. Yeah. And those yeah. are just like the latest guy. I mean, this has been a pretty crash-heavy tour, it seems, at least for the big names. Vincenzo Nibali, Richie Porta, Rigoberto Uran. So, yeah. tire traction. It's off the back. we got to do something so. about it. Yeah, let's yeah. figure this out. Let's yeah. get, a, get, some, get, a, get a crack team of engineers on it. Well, if uh, you have any ideas about uh, tire traction or anything like that, you're welcome to drop us a line at uh, webletters at pocketoutdoormedia.com. That's been the Velo News Podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more and check out velonews.com for all the Tour de France coverage you want and need throughout the final few stages here this weekend. I'm Spencer Paulison for Dan Cash. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.